0: Welcome to The Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, we'll take a step back, back to the 1970s and the Jesus movement.
1: Our country is a dark and divided place, but
0: now there's hope and it's spreading We'll hear from Greg Laurie about the catalyst for the new movie, Jesus Revolution.
2: He came to me with this idea, Greg, I want to make a movie about the Jesus movement.
0: And what unfolded amongst a most unlikely group of Christian converts.
2: It shows how God intervened in the lives of very flawed people and did a powerful work that many regard as the greatest spiritual awakening in American history.
0: Music was so much a part of all that unfolded in that era. We'll hear from Chuck Girard of Love Song, talking about Chuck Smith, a figure at the Center of so much that unfolded.
3: He wanted to do what God wanted, and that whole movement was something that was totally of God. We've
0: got all this and more. I'm Scott Furrow, host of Southern California Live, coming to you from my home station of KKLA in Los Angeles. You can catch my program each day through our live stream at KKLA.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Take a moment to follow the Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC That's TC Thanks for joining us. It's a special edition of our program today. We're going to take a step back all the way back to the 1970s and the Jesus Movement, a movement that was rooted right here in Southern California, and it's the story chronicled in the new film Jesus Revolution.
3: Hey, square? I am not a square. I
4: think we should invite Greg this weekend?
3: What's this weekend?
0: These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority.
1: I think these kids need help. They need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. This house
4: has a very good vibe. There's an entire generation searching,
2: go down, miss,
4: go down. just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language
0: they understand.
4: If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open
1: to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. You've probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. Welcome.
2: don't belong here.
4: Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet.
1: They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well, then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin.
2: I was almost done
4: with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare.
5: This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're going to need a bigger church.
1: Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home and I want you to tell all your friends about it.
0: The film follows the life of one of the more high profile conversions in that era. A name I'm sure familiar to many of you, Greg Laurie. Greg was a guest of Eric Metaxas.
4: When you entrust someone to make a film about your life and about a very, very important part of American history, which is the Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement uh, of, you know, around 1970, where do you begin? Because it's so, you know and I know that there are a lot of films that are Christian-themed, that they're not up to the standard that we would expect from other films. So this film certainly is. How do you even begin a process like that? Because you've succeeded, and you know now that you've succeeded, I want to say, how did you
2: start? Well, I, I started by working with someone that knows what they're doing. And John Irwin is a great director. The first film I saw that he directed was called Woodlawn, a fantastic film. And then he went on to direct I Can Only Imagine, which was the most successful Christian movie, so-called, of all time. And then on to American Underdog and others. So he came to me with this idea, Greg, I want to make a movie about the Jesus movement. And someone told me you were there. We had just met. So we had a very long lunch. So he came back with his first draft of the screenplay. And he had built the movie around the story of my life as a young man searching for God. Uh, along, I was being raised, well, raised, as I use that term loosely, by my alcoholic mother who had been married and divorced seven times. And so I was kind of almost the adult in that relationship. He has that part of my life then where I meet Kathy, so it's a beautiful love story. And then he also tells the story of two unlikely characters that came together, Pastor Chuck Smith, played by Kelsey Grammer, and Jonathan Rumi, who plays the role of Jesus, and The Chosen plays the role of evangelist Lonnie Frisbee. They come together, it's like nitro meets glycerin, <laughs> and there's this, you know, there's this explosion. Yeah. But what I think is really cool about this movie is it, to me, Eric, it, it's the most unchristian Christian movie I've ever seen. And I mean that as a compliment, because Christian movies tend to be lower quality, the acting performances often are not up to the standards they should be, and everything is tidy and perfect. And this movie, because it's based on a true story, has surprising twists and turns, And uh, but ultimately it shows how God intervened in the lives of very flawed people and did a powerful work that many regard as the greatest spiritual awakening in American history.
4: No, it is uh, it is unbelievable, and the Car chase sequence with Chuck Colson. Oh my, that was, (laughs) that was really something. Just just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, but look, I mean, I did, I did see the film. (laughs) Car chase scene with Chuck Colson. No, car Car chase sequence with Chuck Colson. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, No, honestly, uh, there's a lot to praise about this film. I think perhaps at the center of it, Because it's really – when you talk about the story of what happened, the Jesus revolution, what happened during the Jesus movement of the 60s, the 70s, what happened, what happened was Jesus was presented not just in a new way but in a way – that is authentic, that he reaches yeah. out to the hippies. He reaches out. He is not a moralist who says, if you don't dress this way, don't come into my yeah. church. We all know that's dead, bad religion. We've seen it. Most people yeah. react to it negatively. And the fact of the matter is that's at the heart of, of the larger story, and it's at the heart of this movie. And that's why when you yeah. say that you have you know, this uh, essentially staid pastor, Chuck Smith— yeah. Open his heart and his church to this hippie guy named Lonnie huh. Frisbee, yeah. that was true Christianity, and it 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 made all the rest happen. So so it's beautiful that you deal with that. You deal with the with the with the churchy side yeah. of the church, and how there's this this rare moment when somebody makes the right decision, and just innumerable people's lives uh, are changed. I have to ask you. Uh, maybe an obvious question, but by getting Kelsey Grammer involved, how did you persuade someone, uh, I mean I can't think of a better comic actor in the world than Kelsey Grammer. Here he's playing it straight, but how do you get him involved? Because I would just assume he could do all kinds of stuff. Why would he want to play this evangelist named Chuck Smith? How did that go, or can you even share about that?
2: Yeah, I can actually, because I actually talked with Kelsey about it We were on set shooting the film, and I was, you know, you have a lot of time where you wait for the next scene to be set up. And I said, Kelsey, why did you take this role? Uh, You're a very successful actor, you have a great career, and yet you take the role of a struggling pastor. What prompted you to do that? Kelsey is a very tender hearted man, and his eyes teared up. And he said, Well, I was at a point in my life where I wanted to do something that was meaningful. And in his words, he said, I was with some friends. We were meditating and talking about this, and I just opened myself up, and I said, I want to do something that can help people and impact people's lives. He said, the next day, the script for Jesus Revolution came to me. And he says, I read it, and I said, this is it. Then I said to Kelsey, well, Kelsey, I think this was an answer to your prayer. He says, I agree. And and he plays this role so beautifully, you know, Kelsey, we best know him playing the role of Fraser Crane, you know, on Cheers and then in his own show. But he was he went to Juilliard. He was trained as a Shakespearean actor. I didn't understand the bandwidth he had in his skills as an actor, but boy, you sure see them on display in this film with certain scenes where he shows Chuck kind of resistant and then he's sort of opening his heart up and he just does it without saying a word. It's like, wow. I remember when he filmed a particular scene where uh, Chuck, his home is invaded by the hippies. Lonnie has brought all these crazy hippie kids that are Christians to Chuck's home. Chuck comes out and he doesn't know what's happening. Lonnie says, listen to this song. And really what Chuck is seeing is the birth of what we would call contemporary Christian music. And as Kelsey's playing this role, you see him kind of hard like this, I don't want this, to softening, to ending up in a big smile. He never says a word, his face says it all, that's one of the high moments of the film because Chuck, here's a man who's very conservative. He wasn't like a fan of rock music. He, he left his comfort zone and, and allowed God to work and didn't get in the way of it. He opened his doors to a spiritual awakening. And, and, you know, and there's other churches that kept their doors closed. And they didn't experience a Jesus movement, but Chuck opened his doors and it changed church history.
4: Well, and, you know, I just want to be clear. When you say it changed church history, I know that my life was affected by what happened in California. In other words, uh, tons of people that I came to know, uh, I I got saved, as we say, in 1988. And there were tons of people involved uh, in the churches that I was first involved in that came out of this movement. There's just no doubt that it changed America and that there's so many people in ministry today who— came out of that movement. And it was, you know, if you lived through it, and I didn't really, but I got a taste of part of it, you start realizing anything is possible when that when 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 Jesus uh, comes into a culture in that way, when God decides to move in that way, or when when we allow him to, we can't even imagine what's gonna uh, come out of it. I also have to say that Kelsey Grammer the, the, again, the genius of his acting is you completely forget you're watching Kelsey Grammer. You're watching Chuck yes, Smith, true. and yes, there are a few scenes where you're just watch, you're so sucked in because it's yeah. the opposite of what it is to be. Uh, you know, when you're a comic actor, you're kind of drawing attention to yourself, and his eyes are bugging yeah. out and the nervousness and stuff. That's gone. And yeah. it's completely subsumed in the character that he plays, Chuck Smith. Correct. Which, frankly, when you have the abilities that a, that a, a Kelsey Grammer does, that's, a, that's an act of tremendous humility. Coming up... Chuck was a
3: very cool guy and very open to the culture. And he wanted, to, he wanted to do what God wanted. And I can honestly say that that whole movement was something that
0: was totally of God. Chuck Gerard of Love Song when the Christian Outlook continues in a moment.
3: What can you do in a love song?
1: Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu capitalism.
3: Sometimes, hallelujah. Sometimes, praise the Lord. Sometimes, gently sing our hearts and warm.
0: Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow, host of Southern California Live. Great to be with you today. As we look at the Jesus movement and all that God was doing in that turbulent period in our nation's history, it's hard to overstate how much music was a part of it. Worship music, Christian rock. The groundwork was laid for CCM, contemporary Christian music, a genre that is still thriving today. The band Love Song was right there, a part of what Greg Laurie has been talking about. Chuck Gerard, leader of Love Song, was a guest of Dave Elswick. Dave was joined in studio with Jimmy Caven from 101.1 FM, The Answer in Little Rock.
5: I was lucky enough later on to meet Chuck Smith, a great man, very astute man, and a man I think was spirit-led. Did you have a lot of dealings with Chuck? He's a man who literally, because he opened his doors to his church, started the Jesus Movement.
3: Well, Chuck Smith was my spiritual father, and I mean, he was in our lives the first year, especially when we were just, when Love Song, the band, when we were just starting out as Christians, we lived in this uh, lady's home that had, she was an empty nester, she and her husband, and they took us in, and Chuck would call on us, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon and say, boys, I'm coming by at six, we have a meeting at seven, grab your guitars and come with me, and we go out to Riverside or something and do a meeting with Chuck, we did that all the time. And then, uh, of course, uh, they branched out from Calvary, even though they had these amazing numbers at Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel grew from about 200 to 2,000 Mm -hmm. in about four months at one stage of its growth. Uh, When we we started playing there, it wasn't because we played there, but they had hippie preacher Lonnie Frisbee. Mm -hmm. They had a band that looked like Pink Floyd. The hippies told their friends, and that place just exploded. And so we met in a tent for a few years while they built the new sanctuary. And Chuck was a solid guy, you know. The thing I said to him, to his face, I said, Chuck, you're the most open-minded, closed-minded man I've ever met. <laughs> I, I said this to him around around 2010 when we went back out on the road with him uh, just before, a few years before he died. And what I meant was when it came to doctrine, he was extremely focused and tunnel vision. It would, had to be the Bible doctrine, and he didn't like extracurricular thought, extracurricular, you know, was very good uh, father for all of us, as far as guiding us in the word, but yet when it came to the cultural expression, uh, he was really open-minded to let our band, a bunch of hippies, you know, play electric guitars and drums on the platform. And there was one time we're living in this house, like I say, we'd get these calls from Chuck, uh, you know, we were available 24 hours a day, so sometimes there were, every day for a while, We you know, we'd go out with him and do a meeting somewhere. So he calls the house, and our drummer answers the phone, and we just hear, yeah, what time, you know, yeah, sure. So he hangs up the phone, and we said, well, what time does Chuck want us there? And he says, he doesn't want us, he just wants me. He wants me to bring my drums and do a drum solo in church. And I thought, wow, that's <laughs> kind of weird. You know, Even I thought that was a little weird. But John did his drum solo that night, and, uh, man, I'll tell you, it was really powerful spiritually, and uh, he gave his testimony afterward, and then we incorporated that into our concerts. I'd read Psalms 150 and do a little joke about it. You know, I'd, I'd say uh, praise him on the high cymbals, praise him on the, the lute, praise him on the Fender guitar. And right. I'd look at the Bible <laughs> and I'd go, oh, Revised Musician's Edition, you know. <laughs> so we'd make a little joke out of it, and then uh, he'd do a, a solo and come out and do his testimony and became a part of our um, our presentation after that. So Chuck was a very cool guy and very open to the culture, and he wanted to he wanted to do what God wanted. And I can honestly say that that whole movement was something that was totally of God. And I want to make just one little adjustment on your comment. Okay. Uh, the, actually, the media attention started at Calvary. Uh, the whole movement was sort of bubbling under before that. There were things happening up in San Francisco. There were some Christian houses. That had, that had never been a thing, hippie Christian houses up in the Bay Area. There was stuff happening back east with, you know, Freeport, New York, with Scott Ross and Phil Kagey. So there were kind of undercurrents, but what happened at Calvary was the media got a hold of it. It was a great photo op. It was a, you know we had this kind of an unchurch-looking church. Uh, we had hippies, straight people. We had hippie preachers, straight preachers. Straight meaning not not in the area of sexual orientation, but but you know not hit, not right. drug ex drug users. And so they they swarmed down there. We had Look magazine, Life magazine, ABC, NBC, everybody coming to cover the story of what was happening with the hippies. So that's what the real role of Calvary was at that time. And then, of course, the baptisms uh, at the ocean kind of expanded the whole awareness of what was going on. It was all very unusual, very counterculture, and very newsworthy.
5: Yeah, well, you guys were the counterculture of the counterculture.
3: It was kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's just,
5: I was part of that. I was 19 in 1970. And, yeah. and, and I got into that. In fact, when we show the movie, I'll be wearing a, a hoodie that I had made up that says Jesus Freak on the front of it. That was a, a common term back in the day.
3: Yes, it was. The first time I saw that was Rolling Stone magazine came down and actually interviewed us at Calvary Chapel. And Annie Leibovitz, some people that are into music, know yeah, some famous music photographers in the world, She photographed us, and uh, then when they put the article out, they picked this picture of a guy who looked a little bit crazy, and they said, Jesus freaks, and uh, that's the first time I saw that, but it became a, a, you know, it's a a positive thing uh, to be a Jesus freak, and you were proud to wear the banner, but it was uh, was the beginning of the whole thing, and, and everybody was coining their own terms, and Finally, you know, it became it was Jesus music because it was music about Jesus, and then it became Jesus rock, and eventually they landed on contemporary Christian music. So that's what
5: I got, I gotta ask you is. about one guy. I gotta ask yeah. you about Larry Norman. Did you ever meet him? Did you ever talk to him? Was he as crazy in person as he was on the stage?
3: Well, in the very beginning, there was only three or four artists. Really, I I, I there probably could have been more, but the ones that I knew about were. You know, there was us and and Andre Crouch. Larry Norman preceded us. When I became a Christian, his album was already out, Upon This Rock. And I found, first of all, I'm a big Larry Norman fan. I think his music was some of the best of the era. He wasn't speaking to the Christians, though, particularly. He was speaking more to the unsaved. He was very evangelistic in his lyrics. And uh, he was an odd guy. There's no question (laughs) about that. I didn't actually gravitate to him on a, a friendship basis, you know, but we would play it same events we played in, uh, in when we did, we did a big event called Expo 72 in Dallas yep. in 1972 and we played a, a concert in Lee Park it was a very cool day it was Larry and love song out in the park with about a thousand hippies and uh, I just thought he was a great artist and I think he was a sincere minister that really uh, he was more interested in getting the message across than being some kind of a rock star although there there were those elements and there's some of the stuff that came up later. Yeah, but he's a good good guy.
5: I'll tell you what I liked about him. I read the story about him because he, he evidently led to, to Christ, one of my all-time favorite artists, and that's Keith Green.
3: Well, I'm not sure that's completely true. I'm not quite sure who prayed the prayer of salvation with him, but uh, he was very present. Here, Here, there was a Bible study in my home. I moved up the valley from Orange County, which was about an hour north, and a friend of mine, Ken Gullick, and a friend, of, actually a friend of my wife's from college, wanted to start a church up there, so he didn't know anybody up there. He said, can I have a Bible study in your home? So uh, we hosted a Bible study that became two or three Bible studies that finally became a church that finally became what is today known as the vineyard. Keith was very prominent in the vineyard in the early days. I won't say that I'm totally sure, but I think there's another angle to that story of how he actually came to the Lord. But the first vineyard was his church. Coming up, Billy Graham got up and spoke, and I believe that that was a turning point moment for Christian music.
0: More with Chuck Gerrard when the Christian outlook returns in a moment. Oh Lord, your
3: I want the people to know that he saved my soul, but I still like to listen to the radio. They say rock and roll is wrong, we'll give you one more chance. I say I feel so good, I gotta get up and dance. I know what's right, I know what's wrong, I don't confuse it. All I'm really trying to say is why should the devil have all
0: Welcome back to the Christian Outlook brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Scott Furrow. As we look back at God's work in the Jesus movement of the late 70s, I imagine there are many of you who look back on that era as a time when God got a hold on you. Or you know it's when he did a work in your parents' lives. Even so many of the musicians of the era who started doing Christian music. They did not see an opportunity in the Christian space. They simply found new life in Christ, and they were compelled to sing about it. Let's return for more of the conversation of Chuck Girard of Love Song with Dave Ellswick and Jimmy Caven.
5: Did the movement get pushed back from some in the christian community in and, and i'm sure it got support too <laughs> but can you talk about the the level of maybe oh pushback and then but also talk about the support from some of those people now back th- then right. Does this, that this, make sense? this is going to be a 20 minute answer i think for yeah. chuck go ahead chuck
3: no I'll, I'll carve that down um we were um i think god shielded us from some of the controversy about our band and we were really baby christians we were very uh malleable and we just you know we just worship god but we worship chuck on us, on you know people i want to be careful because people get all i don't mean literally of course i know we thought chuck chuck was amazing but we did have a few little things we went to, to do this uh summer camp and um there was a divide in the camp. Some of the people thought we were of the devil, and some of the people thought we were of God, and they had a big meeting about it, and finally they decided to let us play. Usually when that happened, uh, the anointing of God, the power of God would come through. I mean, we were ministers first. I have to make that clear. We didn't come there to be rockers or right. tell you that, that you know drums were cool. We were, if, if, we, if we saw we'd get further with acoustic guitars and congas, that's what we would play. So that was our our stance, and every time we did play to a to a say uh, a skeptical audience, the Lord broke through, and people were ministered to, and you know they'd have big hug parties at the end and say, "Oh, we misjudged you guys." But we had from Calvary, of course, the the thing that made Chuck so unique, Smith, was that he was willing to open his doors to the to the hippies, and he took some flack right. in the early days. You yep. know, there were. When they were small, it was like, "Oh yeah, the hippie church down the road." Ah, ha ha! Until they got to be, you know, thousands strong, and then they were coming into the office and, "Uh, Chuck, what's the program here?" And Chuck would just look at him and say, "Ask the, all the Holy Spirit." Yeah. So, uh, but I found overall to kind of trim the answer down. Uh, we found a lot of support. There were people that were very. Um, I'll tell you what a turning point was, Expo '72, about a hundred thousand people in the Cotton Bowl on a Friday night, and we played, and some other artists played, that maybe, we might have been the only kind of counterculture group that night. There might have been one other. But we played, and right after we played, which was the first time that many people that had come from all over the world had seen Hippie's Minister, Billy Graham got up and spoke. And I believe that that was a turning point moment for Christian music because I think people saw that they thought, well, if Billy will speak after he play, maybe it's okay with God. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, because in those days, in those days, opposite to today, today you're not cool if you don't have electric guitars and drums. That's it's right. Big mix. But in those days, that was heavy stuff to bring. We'd haul these drums in in the morning with our amps and our long hair, and man, we'd get the evil eye until we played and then people would see that it was something real so yeah that's kind of the short answer but yeah we i, I think there was more support personally than um you know skepticism and and uh, blowback so that was my experience
5: well chuck you're one of the first guys and your group was one of the first groups that i listened to i listened to larry norman randy stonehill phil keggian and all of those people and uh, thank you so much for dedicating your life to the to the Lord and, and and his and your music and and binding it together. We thank you for that.
3: Well, it's my pleasure, and it's been a great ride. And I encourage people to go see the movie because they do a very good job of uh, of replicating the era, and uh, it's a very inspiring movie. And people should go see it.
5: Okay, so was the lead is the lead singer uh, of of uh, your band in the movie, does he look better than you do?
3: They don't look anything like us. <laughs> he, he gets up, the, guy, the actor gets up, he's actually a band member. He gets up and he says, we're a love song and we play music about God. He says, dig it. <laughs> 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 and, and he, I, don't, I don't know if I ever said dig it in my life, but uh, he's supposed to be me, I think. <laughs> All right, Chuck. Of, it was kind
2: of fun. Coming up. Look, if we read the Bible, Eric, God used a lot of flawed people.
0: More from Greg Laurie when the Christian Outlook continues in just a moment.
3: Stay with us.
1: Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu capitalism. And I do, do believe
3: it we'll be will be King David uh, at the heart a song of uh, praise with every call. What a sight to see!
0: Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. I mentioned earlier, I know there are many of our listeners who point to this era, the Jesus movement of the 1970s, as the time when God began his good work of regeneration in your lives. And yet, the story for some, I'm well aware, is mixed. Not all who professed Christ at that time continued in him, and maybe it harkens back to Christ in his parable of the soils. And yet, we need to remember for some, the story is not over yet. Let's go back to Eric Metaxas and his conversation with Greg Laurie, talking about the movie Jesus Revolution.
4: I want my audience to know I saw the film and I just I was so happy that it was so good because it's such an important story, Greg. It's such an important story. And, you know, it's it's very moving for me also to know, knowing you as I do now, thinking of you as someone who didn't have faith and, and was lost and, and so on and so forth. So I, I think it's going to give a lot of people hope, and I and I feel that it's it's the kind of a film we need. Films just like this. There's something there's we know that there's a a brokenness in the culture, and so look, I'm I'm thrilled that John Irwin uh, did everything that he did to make this happen, and so this is
2: opening up in a lot of theaters. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it's going to open in. At least 2,000 theaters. It could be as many as 3,000. So I'm really hoping that all the folks that are listening or watching right now would not only go see the movie, but that they would get an extra ticket and take someone that is not a believer. I believe this is an event, this movie, that could really move them toward Christ. You know, there's something about watching art, watching a film, listening to a song. It disarms you. It opens you up in many ways that, you know, a lecture or even a sermon will not do. And there's a place for all these things. But I think that people identify with these characters as they follow them on their journey. We see a very lost Greg Laurie, not knowing where to go in life, what to do, getting into drugs, making bad decisions, and ultimately coming to Christ. But he's very walled off emotionally. He's very closed. And I think Joel Courtney who plays me in the movie, did an amazing job with a very subtle but powerful performance in showing what it was like for Greg to go through all of this. So in Kathy's character, very fiery performance by a young actress named Anna Grace Barlow. And of course, we've talked about Kelsey and Jonathan and many other fine performances in addition. You get pulled into the story. And I don't think you're thinking about performances. I think you're watching it saying... What's going to happen next? And it is based on a true story. Hence, a lot of twists and turns and surprises in it, but ultimately a beautiful resolution. But at the halfway point of the film, literally at the one-hour mark, it's a two-hour film, Greg and Lonnie pray together. Yes. And and there's a prayer that Lonnie leads Greg in. And I work with Jonathan Rumi who played the role of Lonnie, on this prayer, like how it sounds, how it would go, how you would actually lead a person to Christ in real life. And I think that moment in the film is so honest, it's so real, and I think there will be, hopefully, people in theaters praying that prayer along with Greg, right before he's baptized.
4: Well, listen, and then we have to talk about there's a great irony at the heart of the film because Joel Courtney, big deal, uh, and uh, the young woman who plays Kathy, I mean, both of them, they're not just big deal actors and great actors, but they're very, very uh, attractive. And anybody who knows you knows that at that age, you and Kathy were very unattractive people.
2: I think Kathy was very attractive. I'll go with what you said about me. All uh, right. Maybe I was joking. Maybe
4: I was joking. But actually, (laughs) no, they are terrific actors, very attractive. The whole thing is just really winsome and it does draw you in. But what I was going to say, one of the particular strengths of the film is that It's not hagiography. I mean, it shows Lonnie Frisbee to be a flawed individual. And I think that's so important that you see this person who has these amazing gifts. I mean, without him, would any of this have happened? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. And yet he was a human being. Uh, He had uh, had his struggles. And the fact that the film was willing to go there, I thought, was brave, was honest. And it's part of what makes it a great film, frankly. And, of course, you knew him.
2: Yeah, I knew Lonnie. Lonnie was the guy preaching when I accepted Christ on my high school campus. Lonnie baptized me. So Lonnie fell away from the Lord uh, at Some a number of years after God used him so powerfully in the Jesus movement. He got into drugs. He got into immorality. And tragically, he ended up getting the AIDS virus. And I went to visit him when he was in hospice care. Uh, in Newport Beach. uh, He was not long for this world. His face was emaciated. The effect of the AIDS virus had been devastating. Lonnie had repented of his sin. He had never lived as a gay man or lived as an immoral man as his identity. It was something he fell into. He was sorry for, he repented of, and turned back to the Lord at the end of his life. So, you know, he's a controversial figure because of this. But look, if we read the Bible, Eric, God used a lot of flawed people. I mean, Samson was powerfully used by God and and completely collapsed morally. After Noah built the ark and came safely to the shore, he intentionally uncovered himself and got drunk. And, and the list of flawed Bible characters goes on endlessly. So why do we expect people in real life to be perfect? But during this moment in time when... Lonnie was so powerfully used of God, he was walking closely with the Lord, and it just shows that you can be used by God and blessed by God, and you can sin, but you can also repent and turn back to the Lord, and he will forgive you.
4: Well, again, I mean, the movie doesn't go into that, but the point is it it goes into his flawed character at that time. And, I, yes. again, I think it's why this film uh, is as good as it is and why it will do yeah. well because it's honest and it deals with the fact that there are people who who might be used powerfully by God who are, are still screwed up and wounded and dealing with yeah. that and so on and so forth. Yes. And I think, again, that, that's to me why this probably um, – signals, uh, you know, uh, a positive step in the evolution of so-called Christian film, because yeah, this so. is really, it's more Christian because it, it's its more honest and, and so yeah. on and so forth.
0: Coming up, imagine if Jesus said, I'm not going to minister to these people because they need a bath. Some closing thoughts from yours truly when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. I hope you've enjoyed our look back at the Jesus Movement today, occasioned by the Jesus Revolution movie. Whether you've been long captivated by that era or it's all new to you, whether you're an enthusiast or you're a skeptic, there's no question about this. There were many who found their lives changed. The movie Jesus Revolution provides a great challenge for us today. Here's a bit of my reflections to my Southern California listeners. This is a movie where I think you can bring your friends, and then go have a conversation. I think that when we're called to make disciples, and that begins with the people that God has placed in our life, I think we put too much pressure on, you know, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Like me, I personally have to make disciples of all nations. No, the the job of the church, capital C, is to make disciples of all nations. But your job is to deal with whatever people God has put around you. And in this case, in this movie, there's this wonderful thing where you really see the tension between Christians who feel like this generation is lost and this generation is so full of sin. Pastor Smith in the movie played by Kelsey Graham says they need a bath, and that's what a lot of people felt, and they did need a bath, right? But you know, imagine if Jesus said that. Imagine if Jesus said, I'm not going to minister to these people because they need a bath. I'm not going to go over to Zacchaeus' house because he's a tax collector and a Roman employee, and I don't want anything to do with that there's a moment where the leadership is divided on whether or not to minister to these hippies at all. And some leave the church over it. Here's the question is, which of these people are you? One of the things that is relevant about this movie is that we do live in a time that is so similar, where we have people out there who are searching for their own truth are we able to pull back and have the same kind of ministry to people who might fundamentally disagree with us even on foundational things and love them the way Jesus would? How can the church respond? We want to have genuine revival. And the Jesus revolution, it changed things. It really ended the hippie movement. It brought an end to, or at least a pause in a lot of the cultural decline of that time. And I think it would be dramatically worse if it was not for the Jesus revolution and what happened there. Many of you are a part of that, and you know, saved your life. We have a similar situation today, and I think back then that many people in the church were saying, ah, these people, there's just nothing we're going to be able to do to help them. How do I relate? You know what? I think that we can relate, because I think that there is a God in heaven who has made us the church. That means that the people that you work with, the people that you interact with on a regular basis, when they're with you, they're at church. That means that It's not just about how can I get this person to show up on Sunday? Maybe what you need to do is take that person to the movies. You know, you want to build that relationship because that's what discipleship is. It requires relationship. It requires investment. It requires intentionality. And this movie will give you some great things to talk about. That concludes our program today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to mention it to a friend. Go to ChristianOutlook.com and take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pashan and Michael Cook, I'm Scott Furrow. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook.